0: Hello everyone, good evening. My name is Tracy West and along with Carla Reeves, I am the co-chair of the diversity, equity and inclusion section here at the BBA. Um, I can't think of anyone else who I would uh, enjoy more so than my guests tonight to start out um, our sections program for the the year other than Mr. Wharton Bellamy. Um, Wharton is the president of Stakeholders Incorporated It is a company that he founded in 2007 that provides training, coaching, and conference resources that are directed to the learning and active career management needs of top performers in corporations and service firms. Wharton has trained over 100 AM Law, 200 law firms, excuse me, in over 100 AM Law, 200 law firms and global law departments. In 1998, Wharton founded the... Phenomenal Charting Your Own Course Career Conference, great conference, which is professional development conference that hosts more than 900 in-house and law firm attorneys of color. In 2010, Wharton was selected by the Leadership Council for Legal Diversity, also known as the LCLD, to design and to help implement its talent development efforts directed to top performing diverse professionals. He launched stakeholders following 16 years of practice as an associate partner and in-house counsel. And I am, I think, especially blessed and thrilled to not only regard him as um, a colleague and friend, mentor and advisor, all of that as one. So Wharton, thank you so very much for joining us tonight so that we can discuss your article.
1: Yes, well, thanks for having me, Tracy. And thank you for the most generous uh, introduction. And and thank you to everyone who's uh, with us at this um, end of the day hour. So um, I look forward to the discussion and um, I turn it back over to you, All right,
0: so here we go. We've got, I have a lot of questions for you. Um, Again, we're gonna have 45 minutes of dialogue or a fireplace chat with no fireplace. And then we're going to open it up uh, for the last 15 minutes for any questions that um, audience members might have. So now, though I gave a brief overview about you, I I think it's really important. Could you please just briefly share with this audience who you are, what you do, but most importantly, why this article was so important
1: for you to write? Sure. So um, I started off like many lawyers do out of law school. Uh, I went into a large law firm setting. I'm now old enough to be honest that um, I don't think I was a very spectacular uh, first year or second year associate, uh, but I had some senior lawyers help me stabilize my plane before I crashed it. Uh, I remained in the law firm setting for a little over six years. I then went into one of my firm's clients, um, big pharmaceutical company Merck, um, few years into that, I was bit by the biotech bug. Um, it actually took me to Boston um, to a company called uh, Genetics Institute that at that time was located in Cambridge. And um, I went through a succession of biotechs. Um, my last legal job was at one called Celera Genomics, which when I joined it was trying to win the race to sequence the human genome. I joined them as their general counsel and that was just a spectacular experience. I uh, declared an early retirement, uh, so I thought, um, but I'm married to a truly gifted lawyer who yes. um, lovingly urged me to restore myself more <laughs> productively, and I, I started to wrestle with um, something that I'd become interested in um, as early as an associate, and that was trying to better understand what really drives success. And so I started to examine and I continue to examine one of three things, the ways of working, the ways of relationship building, and the ways of self-investment of of lawyers who achieve their fullest potential. And what I mean by that is lawyers who year over year are on a trajectory where their range of premium options are expanding rather than um, shrinking. And I fumbled my way into building a business around that. And I've been blessed to um, you know, have a chance to work with many, many lawyers and leaders um, as a result. Why I wrote the article? Um, I wrote the article because one of the things that uh, I decided to do once it became clear that this COVID um, was not going to be a quick passing thing um, was to see how I could be a resource um, in my company, I have four incredibly gifted coaches, and I reached out to them. I asked if they would um, make themselves available free uh, to law firms that supported our career conference. Um, truthfully, when I cut that deal with them, I thought, ah, maybe 30 or 40 associates would take us up on the offer. It turned out 126 took us up on the offer, which required them to en- enlist um, the Um, least skilled coach myself uh, in the uh, process. And so over a period of months, Tracy, we, we were talking to associates from over 23 firms every day, all day. And we lived this experience with them. And we thought that we might in some way be a resource to them along that journey. That's why we did it. I wrote the article because i wanted to share what we experienced in that journey with a hope that maybe somewhere in there there might be something of value to you and other experts who day-to-day are responsible for the growth of of young lawyers um, of law students um, who are trying to achieve their fullest potential
0: thank you in fact just to remind everyone we did uh, include the link to the article but in case Uh, folks might have lost that link per se. I strongly advise you to read this article. It is called Coaching Associates of Color During the COVID-19 Crisis, Lessons Lessons Learned and the Path Forward. Um, And it's available now also has uh, put it up with its resources and you can download it from there. All right, so here's a question I have for you and I'm intrigued and interested, but I, I understand. But in the article, you identify four types of associates the newbies, the go-to associates are utility players and the fringe players. Um, can you help us understand why you thought it was important to make these category distinctions?
1: Yeah. So one I wanted to try to reflect the reality as I um, have experienced it both as an associate and more recently as someone who, who works in a lot of law firms because the needs of an associate um, are not uniform. And consequently, I'm not convinced the, in this case, the coaching interventions um, really were a one size fits all. So the go-to associates, um, those are the associates who we would all agree are progressing um, very, very well. They have great relationships. They're in the path of developmentally rich work. The Um, utility players. These are associates who we would say are um, average to good associates. And when the work is there, um, they're moving along nicely. The newbies, of course, are the people who are um, newest to the profession. These are the people who in the past two years have graduated from law school and now find themselves trying to figure out how to be a successful associate in a very, very difficult learning environment. Um, almost entirely remote. Um, And then you have fringe players and they could be at at different levels. These are associates who in my experience for any number of reasons are operating on the fringes of their um, practice group. Um, When you go into the practice group and you ask senior lawyers to share with you, so who are the associates who are your first choice? These associates don't get identified. Um, does it mean they're not billing hours? No, they could be billing hours, but this speaks more to the pace and quality of their development. And so we were encountering, um, associates in each of those categories that were coming to us in the course of the coaching experience. And so what I wanted to do in the article is to share, um, some of the different approaches that we adopted depending on where we thought the associate fell um, in those categories, because in the end, our end game is to increase the pool of associates generally and diverse associates in this instance, who are widely recognized as go-to associates. That's right.
0: Okay. Um, So you also argue and you strongly stress in the article that the relationship helps issue, right? So relationship health, which is really the strength of an associate's relationship with assigning partners in their practice group,
1: yeah. that
0: that is the single strongest predictor of levels of developmental interest, levels of self-investment, self-confidence, yeah. and feelings yeah. of belonging and overall well-being. How did you come to that conclusion? And if I can repeat, if you don't remember, I don't, I'm sorry to give you um, two questions at once, but how might that inform our strategies and tactics for achieving um, our organization's DEI goals and initiatives?
1: Yeah. So it's taken me 30 years to figure it out that relationship health, health really is the strongest predictor of um, all of those things, be it um, career progression, be it feelings of belonging, um, and wellness. Uh, And I use myself as an example. I was someone who entered the legal profession and I indexed very strongly for what I call my task doing talent. Um, That was something I had relied on for my academic success for many, many years. I I was not particularly focused or even new to focus much on what I now call my relationship talent, which is my ability to build strong relationships within um, the workplace. I, I figured if I was collegial and um, responsive, uh, the then responsive, that was, right. you know, then that would be enough, right? And um, I don't think that's wrong. It's just not complete. And so as I grew in my own career and have observed the careers of others, what I've learned, Tracy, is almost everything that drives our professional success, um, be it mentorship, sponsorship, forgiveness, access to informal networks, access to next level assignments, those things are all transacted in the context of one-on-one relationships, okay? And so not surprisingly, um, young lawyers who have strong relationships in the workplace are more likely to transact in those enablers more so than associates who, like myself, had um, more transactional relationships with with those with whom I was working. And so that's how I came to that conclusion, um, that that if we attack relationship health, we're gonna start to necessarily get at some of the other needs, you know that associates, um, in fact, have. So, what does that mean for um, DE and I professionals? Uh, first, it means we've got to get we got we have to be honest about the world as it exists. Um, I'm. I think I, for many many years, operated from the vantage of the way. I hope the world would be in law firms or thought it should be in law firms. And while I think that's important, I think in this moment, we need to be mindful of the world as it is, the investment habits as they exist, the strengths and weaknesses of the key stakeholders, both associates and partners and people in between and develop strategies that fit that reality. So what am I talking about? Number one, we've got to elevate the relationship talent of everybody. Um, From the junior most associates who have an abundance of intellect, curiosity, they're the most talented generation of lawyers we've ever had. But like me, most of them are still in the early stages of building relationship talent. We need to go at it. with respect to more senior lawyers, I think we got to get much more innovative with respect to how we provide them with tools to make it easier for them to support the growth of associates. Um, Rather than lamenting what they are or are not doing or what they should be doing, I think the truth is most senior lawyers are still trying to figure out um, now hybrid They're very, many of them are very, very busy, and we've just got to make it easier for them to support the growth of associates. I don't have all the answers. I made a few suggestions in the article, but those would be the two pain points, relationship talent and tools to make it easier for more senior lawyers to support the growth of of more junior lawyers. Great.
0: Um, You contend that an important area of need of the, um, Associates, or is there associates need, I should say, to build a pit crew? Uh, can you explain what you mean by a pit crew other than a racing car? Well, that is what I mean, actually. I
1: know. So I, uh, so, I, so, so I uh, now, what I'm about to say reflects my lack of knowledge about racing in fact, but <laughs> I did go to the Indy 500 once. And um, those of you who are more familiar with race car driving know that there's a pit crew. And, and so when I train, Um, Sometimes I will ask the question rhetorically, what if I wanted to enter a a race, and I had a great car, a great driver, but I elected to enter the race without a pit crew? And the audience invariably says, well, you are not going to win the race. In fact, you may not finish the race. And I ask, why is that? And they say, well, you know, you're going to have all kinds of maintenance issues, and consequently, you won't be competitive. And I think the same is true in the profession particularly now. The race that that young lawyers are in right now is as challenging as it has ever been. And my experience is when you look at people who have confronted similar challenges, okay? I mean, my starting point with respect to diverse attorneys specifically and attorneys generally is I study what the top performers do. I study what the people who have confronted the same challenges you confront have done to achieve their potential with their dignity intact. When I study those people, they all have a pit crew. And it's a lifetime undertaking. What do I mean by that? It means that they are focused on, as a matter of life management, what are the institutions that sustain me? What are the institutions to which I remain connected that are focused on what's right about me? With respect to their personal relationships and their professional relationships, they ask the question, how much time do I spend in the presence of people who affirm me, okay? They're intentional about that, okay? They're not winging it. And they ask themselves the question, so, what habits have I adopted that are truly restorative for me? Now, for me, it's taken me 30 years to kind of put my pit crew together. But I can tell you this: that when my when I didn't have a pit crew, things were terrible. As I started to um, be more mindful of that, things got much much better. And so, that's a suggestion that I'm I'm now making that. Leaders need to, as you assess all the other things about the about a young person, start to examine with them, so where's your pit group? And what are you doing to build one?
0: So we're talking internally for sure, but also externally. Absolutely. Okay. Wonderful. Speaking of which, as we spoke about leaders, I actually want to pivot a little and talk sure. about how um, so this is one thing that, you know, it it, it might be a sensitive point for some, but Let's talk about it. You know, uh, you state that leaders must have the courage, right? the courage to share with associates of color and all associates in general, but in particular, right now, we're talking today about associates of color, the potential developmental and career costs that are associated with remote and hybrid work. There is a lot out there. People are saying, I don't want to go back in. For reasons why firms are saying you should come in. Um, you know, other than you should show up and, or FaceTime per se, because that's what makes an organization feel better. What exactly should they be
1: saying to the associates about the why? Okay. Well, first I, I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with remote work or mm-hmm. hybrid work. Uh, I think I said this in the article, it only becomes potentially problematic, f- particularly for a junior lawyer, when one over-indexes for the remote side of hybrid. So what do I think we as more senior lawyers owe junior lawyers in the spirit of honesty? First, I think we need to share with junior lawyers that not every billable hour offers the same developmental benefit.
0: And what do you mean by that?
1: Ah. What I mean by that is a billable hour that is attached to meaningful interaction with the assignment giver with collaboration time attached to that billable hour, with the kind of quality feedback that only comes when there's capital built in the relationship. That billable hour is of very different developmental benefit to you than a billable hour that's not tied to those things. So you're still cranking out some work, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a bad, a bad analog, but it's, it's not how much you eat, it's the, the, the nutritional value of what you eat. That's right. Which takes me to the second thing, and that is if we're honest with young lawyers and ourselves, Okay. We would say to them that their long-term market value and the range of premium options that will be available to them long-term have nothing to do with what they're getting paid right now, okay. and have everything to do with the quality of their developmental experience. Said differently, it's not how much money some. Uh, um, firm is willing to pay you to lateral over. It really has everything to do with how fast are you going to learn? Okay. If we're going to be honest with these guys, right?
0: Because you're going to learn the practice so that you're self sufficient and are able to assist the partners more so, or
1: what's your speed to expertise? Okay. How quickly are you moving to a point where you are perceived to be indispensable? To partners, okay? My fear is a lawyer who over-indexes for remote starts to look a lot like a contract lawyer, okay? And it's hard for me presently to envision how a time-constrained partner who really isn't familiar with developing someone remotely will magically figure out how to allocate the time needed to develop someone who's indexed predominantly remotely as well as they can develop someone who more conventionally um, is in the office more regularly. I mean, I I hope we can get to the point where we're skilled at doing that, where we we can create as rich a developmental experience for a remote, um um associate as we do a person who is spending more time in the office we're just not there right now and i don't think we're going to be there in the foreseeable future that's very much a work in progress and since we're talking about lawyers who are either in the profession now or will soon be in the profession i think the advice has to again reflect the reality
0: So you, you just said before that, and you said an article also that the ro- remote work itself is not really the problem, but it's how the associates elect to yeah. allocate time between remote and in office work. Yeah. Um, that's where presents that that's what can present some developmental challenges or opportunities. Yeah. Um, do you want to just explain a little bit more? I mean, what do you mean by um, h- how one allocates time necessarily? It's
1: yeah. Well, using myself as an example. Um, given my level of professional maturity as a junior associate, uh, I would have been all over remote work and you rarely would have seen me in the office for a variety of reasons, okay? Um, The problem is there is such a thing as proximity bias. And before we attack it as something that shouldn't exist, anyone who's ever been in a long distance relationship in your personal life knows that if you're in a long distance relationship that doesn't have like in the early foundation, some real equity in it, it kind of starts off remote. It's really, really hard to sustain, okay? And I think some of that dynamic is is in play when we don't help associates kind of calibrate how much remote is, a, is enough before it starts to compromise what should matter to them the most, which is the pace and quality of their development and their relationship building. I, I would just say um, these two kind of go together. I said earlier that I think it's, it's important that we get laser focused on elevating relationship talent right? What I mean by that is equipping um, young lawyers with the tools to build what I call relationships worthy of loyalty with anyone, okay? Most notably, um, the people in their practice group. That's a skill set. To me, that is as vital as any other skill set. And We've got to start to treat it that way and kind of wrestle it away from the land of soft skill, okay? Um, That coupled with helping young lawyers understand that there are certain things that are more easily shared with you. There are things that are more easily learned face-to-face. It's just easier, not that you can't do it remotely, it's just easier. And the truth is when senior lawyers are busy they default to, and I believe I wrote this in the article, they default to convenience and speed and ease. We're all like that, okay? That's why, as I said, as I wrote, I love Amazon. I love ATMs. I love EasyPass. okay? (laughs) We, we, we We are all hardwired, to default to the pathway that offers the least amount of friction. And so when we think about the development of young lawyers, I think it's incumbent on both senior lawyers and junior lawyers to ask themselves, so what does that look like in my law firm? Understanding that different law firms and different um, practice groups may have, you know, dynamics that are unique um, to that to that group.
0: So then on the same, I guess. uh, um, Same aspect of what we were just talking about, though, you know, you mentioned how it's important, definitely, especially for our junior and newbies. And let's be honest, the ones that are entering uh, the profession now. They were the first remote summer remote folks they've never been in the office they haven't even had those opportunities to meet their team in person. Um, But you're saying that you know it's important about the amount of time that's allocated uh, to individual associate development, also by the partners correct Uh but but you think that that's shrinking. The partner time that you know um, that it's not growing that it's actually shrinking so what does that mean you know, or is this indicative of all partners? Is it, is it a concern we have that if they're busy, kind of like you were saying earlier that they don't have the time, they want something easy, they want it to you know, just deal with the go-to's, um, how can we incentivize them to actually spend time uh, to help build these relationships?
1: Well, well let me be clear. I, I, I happen to believe that the overwhelming majority of partners want to honor their obligation to develop young lawyers. Okay? That, that remains unchanged. But I think the demands on senior lawyers are greater than ever. Wow. They, just, they just are. Okay. And, and so long as we're still operating off of the same 24 hours as we were 10 years ago and 20 years ago, where the demands on partners are increasing. Some, some, the non-associate development demands are increasing. That necessarily means that the time allocable to associate development is shrinking. I'm not saying that, that partners have decided magically, well, let's just starve the associates. I don't think that's generally the case, okay? And I'm not saying that there aren't some extraordinary partners who are doing things that we would all look at and say, whoa, that is extraordinary. Most p- people, myself included, because I'm at an age now where I spend more time mentoring and sponsoring than being sponsored and mentored. We want ease of sponsorship. It's We, we want to support the people who have who are highly coachable that's one of the areas we trained on um, with respect to our coaching cohort We, we we um integrated four trainings during the course of the the coaching journey for all of them and one of them was entitled the highly coachable associate because we wanted to deconstruct for them what it means for them to be highly coachable which is just code for these are the things that you can do to make it easier For others to support your success. They want to support your success, but the truth is you two have a role um, in making that more likely than not. And so that's really what what I'm saying when I say that the the time is in fact shrinking, okay? I've not been anywhere where anyone's saying to me, oh, well, Wharton, as a result of where we are today, we can expect the amount of time and energy allocable to associate development by senior lawyers to increase anything other than episodically.
0: Okay. so when you were talking about the coachable lawyer, just some quick uh, bullets about what that means to be a coachable attorney or associate. I think
1: that the the, the starting point is self-awareness. Um, people who are doing the coaching, mentoring, sponsoring, the first thing they want to discern is your capacity to view yourself as you are viewed by your audience.
0: That's a tough one. Why is that? Because
1: those people tend to set realistic goals. Okay. Another thing that people look for to confirm your coachability is the fact that you have taken the time to self-identify areas of growth and development. So when you talk to a highly coachable young lawyer, um, they're prepared to say, well, Tracy, you know, I have identified the following areas as ones that I have targeted for growth and improvement. I'd really be interested, Tracy, in some of the things that you did when you were at my level um, to elevate your level of proficiency um, in those areas, as opposed to an associate, and I was this associate, who would come to you and say, oh, um, the firm website said that mentorship was something that would be um, widely available to me. Here I am. <laughs> you probably know what my needs are. Um, help figure it out. Now I'm being okay. a, a little I extreme know. here, but you understand my point. Mm-hmm. You, you, the, the, the more you're willing to do to direct people to how to help you, the easier you have in turn um, made it um, for them to coach you. I'll tell you one last thing. This is really, really simple. I say to associates, ask the person who you want to coach you to define for you what it means to be a highly coachable associate. That definition is gonna be different depending on who you're talking to, okay? But until you ask that question, you don't even know what you're aiming for, okay? And interestingly, what I have found is when you ask that question of someone, two things happen. Like when, when young lawyers ask me that question, two things happen. One, they get some high value information, But it signals to me, I'm in the presence of someone with a level of professional maturity that excites me. And that's another thing that people wanna confirm, okay? Um, We are generally motivated to coach people who we believe have some level of professional maturity, who we believe are self-investing at high levels as evidenced by their self-identification of areas that they have targeted for growth and improvement. They have created conditions to support your efforts. And in my experience, um, those tend to be the young lawyers who attract more investment than those who really haven't thought much about the question. So what makes me highly coachable?
0: And I would add to that, it's probably a little more difficult to
1: do that remotely than Absolutely. In person. All day long. That's, that gets back to the relationship talent, right? It's, it, we, we've got to be a, a, a really kind of little paint by numbers in this season. <laughs> um, and some of you are of an age where, where you may remember doing paint by numbers. That, that was the um, artistic peak in my life. But we've got to be a bit more prescriptive than maybe we think we ought to be in helping people understand both senior lawyers and junior lawyers what they should be doing in this moment. Um, And, And it's
0: definitely, they have more options when they're seen, when they're present, when they can have those conversations, not even with just the senior, like partners, but even senior associates and counsel that might be there who yeah. can forge relationships with and yeah. learn about each other, right? Because part of relationship building and investment yeah. um, is knowing more than just, here's your work productivity. Even yeah, if we're I, very different.
1: Yeah, yeah. We, we just generally, we just generally invest in people with whom we have some interpersonal connection. And we can argue about whether it should be that way. Um, But my experience is that's one of those inconvenient truths that if you have a strong relationship, certain things start to take care of themselves um, that become challenges again when the relationship is a bit more transactional. I will say this to you, Tracy, you asked me earlier you know, about some of the observations that I have made, and one that I I forgot to mention. When I think about the very best relationships between senior lawyers and junior lawyers, the junior lawyer is in the path of a senior lawyer who is actively thinking about what that junior lawyer should be doing next. Um, That senior lawyer, as I discuss in the article, consciously or subconsciously, has a vision for that junior lawyer. And so if we are interested in identifying opportunities for senior lawyers, rather than ending the discussion with, are you committed to the cause of diversity? Which is important. Mm -hmm. Ask the question, who are the diverse lawyers who by name are your first choice? Who are routinely in the path of your premium work, time, relationships? Who are they? because that really starts to give us a better sense of where we really are um, as senior lawyers individually, as practice groups, and as as law firms. I'm I'm interested in increasing the number of diverse lawyers who are someone's first choice. Now, understand I'm not saying everyone's first choice. You don't have to be everyone's first choice, but you can't be no one's first choice and achieve your fullest potential. And so for those of you who are in DE&I and professional development and law school deans and and career services um, experts, helping to reframe the end game maybe a bit differently for young lawyers to help them understand that central to their end game is becoming someone's first choice. Um, I see that 100% of the time with respect to lawyers who achieve their fullest potential. They were were someone's first choice at the critical points along their um, career path.
0: Okay, that's important. So um, I know that we're almost gonna be wrapping up soon, but I did have a question I wanted to ask you about your reference to the importance of having what you call a second vision I think you started to allude a little bit to that earlier, but explain what you mean by that and what a partner really should do to help develop this vision.
1: So I, I talk about it in the article and um, it's tied to, again, relationship um, development. Most of us are, are uh, what I would call me focused in our relationships. And we uh, quite naturally, when we think about any relationship at work or outside of work, we, we got to answer the question. So is this going to be good for us? What's in it for us? And it's our forecast of the answer to that question that will inform what we're willing to put into the relationship. If, if we think that this is going to be very, very good for us, then we tend to uh, be predisposed to investing. And the opposite is true, right? Okay. I, and that's our first vision. What's right. in it for us? What's going right. to, how will we said, benefit right. from this relationship? Okay, that's the first vision. And uh, and, I, and I and I frame that in the article, um, I talk about parents, right? When you know you're going to become a parent, you, you first think about how wonderful this is going to be for you and how this is going to change your life and be so enriching. But there's also a second vision that parents have with respect to Um, a child that's coming into their lives. And that vision relates to what they hope their child will experience in their relationship with you, the parent. And so we hope as parents that in their relationship with us, our child will learn about what love is and how honesty is experienced and what hard work looks like and what commitment and how that is modeled they will experience that in their relationship with you and what we're really getting at here is we have a second vision that is tied to not just what we want out of the deal but what we want the other person to experience in the relationship and so what does that have to do with young lawyers and law firms well i argue that we can start to move a bit further up the path particularly in these times if we challenge both associates but more importantly senior lawyers to develop a second vision. And so what does that look like practically? Well, what that means practically is answering the following questions. With respect to associate A, how can you confirm that that associate feels understood by you? Question two, how can you confirm that that associate feels valued by you?
0: Yes. Oftentimes out. you hear when they leave, that's when everyone comes forward. And they, I've heard this throughout 20 something years A- worth of, you know, mom and students, I didn't realize I was important until I was out the door. and Absolutely.
1: Gone. Absolutely. And you can find yourself saying, well, of course I value this associate, but that's not the question. The question is how can you confirm that they feel valued by you? Next question. How can you, conf- how can they confirm your authenticity? That they know who you really are. What have you done in the relationship to make it easy for them to confirm your authenticity? And lastly, what have you done in the relationship for them to confirm your commitment? That your commitment is personal. That your commitment to them extends beyond your self-interest and the firm's self-interest or the matter at hand. When you wrestle with these questions and you actually put pen to paper and if you even have the courage to share your vision, it's interesting what I have found in every type of relationship. When you tell a person that you have a vision for what you want them to experience in their relationship with you, that relationship deepens. And I try to argue that people leave when there's no second vision. And when the, the Um, headhunter or other firm is articulating a vision that you should have probably articulated a year ago. So that's what I mean by that. Um, That's what I, you know, I train on this, as you know, I write about it. and, And I just happen to believe that's just kind of a small but meaningful way of getting at and addressing a pain point, I believe, in the relationship between junior and senior attorneys.
0: And this is also applicable in the public sector and other organizations in-house as well. Anywhere. Correct? Anywhere. Anywhere we're in relationship
1: with each other. I, In my relationship with you, Tracy, I'm never going to say, Tracy, I want to feel valued by you. It doesn't mean it's less true. I'm never going to say, I'm say you... you say that
0: all the time. But anyway. well,
1: true, true, true. <laughs> but I'm never going to say, hey, Tracy, make it easy for me to figure out who you really are. I'm not going to say that to you. But it doesn't make it less true. Um, I'm not likely to say, Tracy, I need to to be confident that your commitment to me has something more to do than what you want from me. I'm not going to say that to you. But it doesn't make it less true, right? And so when we are deliberate about how we're going to make those things confirmable, and you share it then you know what you're aiming for. You're aiming for something that's within your control. You're not fixated on something that's not within your control, which is what you hope to receive from the relationship. I'm not saying that's unimportant. I'm just saying, one, we're bad forecasters, okay? And two, it's out of your control. So let's focus in this moment on some things that are within our control.
0: All right, well, Yeah, I was actually just going to add to that, that for some, at least as big law used to be, you know, it was a mindset of we're bringing you in here, we're using you for these. I used to prepare these kids. Yes, they're paying you money. They will own you whether you like it or not, at least for those first few years. what are they getting from you? But at the same time, what are you getting from them? And what are you bringing into it? And when you're more engaged, and especially if you're able to identify what your needs are. Uh, yeah. But the challenge might be that some might feel as if, well, this firm just wants my blood, sweat, and tears, yeah. All right? That's what I'm expecting. It's that big house, It turnover. Yeah. You know, they bring in 60, 100 or so associates a year, and yet they only elevate less than 20 partners a year. So the writing is on the wall. Um, but how I guess they need to just stagger it maybe and look at their profession and their vision in different pockets in time, right? At, at different trajectories in time and what they're able to
1: get. Yeah. To. Well, look, I'm, I'm, I've been in a love affair with young lawyers for a long time. I, uh, I marvel at how gifted they are. I marvel at the law schools that produce them. I marvel at the professionals like yourself who have custody over them but I think we've got to be honest about how to support their success going forward. And I think this is an entirely winnable game here, but we've got to focus on the world as it exists, as we move towards the world, as we hope it to be, and understand that we've got to be willing to listen to ideas from all corners um moving forward because in the end I think the measure of my success of your success of the success of many of the people I'm sure on this call it's really tied to the success of these young lawyers who have done everything that we've asked them to do in their academic lives and they really shouldn't be flatlining once they enter our profession they really should be again achieving their fullest potential and in some small way, that's what I'm committed to doing. Right. Um, at, you know, at this point, I don't have all of the answers. I'm not smart enough. I wasn't um, quite the student you were, Tracy, oh, yeah. but I am trying hard. <laughs> and, um, and, I, and again, I think this is, this is very much yeah. um, a winnable game. So, I, you know, I appreciate you for taking the time. I'd be interested in any questions that people may Actually, have.
0: Actually, I, I do have a question that came through and it's sure. specifically about how can an attor- How can attorneys begin to develop relationships with senior attorneys if they tend to be shy? We have our introverted groups or those that are, they've got anxiety about how do I just walk in that room and say, hi. Um, I know you have to put on the big boy and big girl pants, but thoughts, ways that it could be a little more-
1: Yeah.
0: Um, less intimidating. And I add to it that especially as a historically underrepresented attorney, that might be one of few, Um, you know, there's this mindset along the cultural competencies uh, called minimization where um, you're looking for the similarities, afraid to look at the differences, but some people intentionally, you know, as the only black woman sitting in this office or in this team, I might try to. Assimilate more might not right. want to or have that confidence yet to really say, you know, when you see me, I, I expect you to see me as a black woman versus just like you. Um, any suggestions for these newbies yeah. that are still dealing with a lot right now?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. with how yeah. they
0: can start to forge yeah. these relationships.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I understand, and I, I was that associate, so I. You, I understand. Yeah, I was. I was. I mean, you're looking at uh, you know 35 years we're, we're of 2.0 of, version of, of right. incremental, <laughs> of incremental in, uh, growth, but I, um, you know, introversion is real. Mm-hmm. Um, some people make it difficult to connect with. I think the remote this platform that we're on right now is very difficult and it benefits people who went into COVID with equity in their relationships and disadvantages people who didn't have a lot of equity um, in their relationships. But I am writing on this, so I will tell you by way of heads up, I don't think introversion is a rate limiting step. There are a lot of uh, introverted people who can forge yeah. um, productive uh, relationships. But as introverts, you um, feel more comfortable, for example, when we um, know what we're going to talk about, and we're talking about what we talk about in settings that are comfortable for us. So let me give you a practical um, example. I, I made reference in the article to mentoring moments. These are tools that are of unique benefit for us introverts, because You aren't in that uncomfortable space where you're dealing with someone who, for whatever reason, you don't have a natural um, rapport with. And then you, on top of that, aren't sure what to talk about with that person. And so um, I happen to believe one of the things that we can do for young people is to share with them what to talk about when you're talking to people, this is what you talk about. And, and, and things that are easy for the other person to discuss with you that are of some developmental benefit. And you start to wade your way into the pool. Um, and that's you really are wading your way into the pool, person by person. Again, remember, I don't believe everyone has to fall in love with you in the workplace. Okay. But someone has to fall in love with you, okay? And so I would say in a world where it is true that growth happens on the other side of your comfort zone, you do have to start to view your comfort zone to some extent as your enemy developmentally. That's tough. That was tough for me. It's tough, yeah. Okay? Um, but practically what that means is starting with someone in the workplace having a conversation that might go something like this Tracy because you're in my practice group and you are very intimidating to me notwithstanding how you feel about yourself and typing out a text or an email that says something like you know Tracy my name is Wharton uh you you probably know me um I would really be interested Tracy at a time that's convenient for you in the next um few weeks if you could take a little time um to share with me a couple of the things that you did when you were at my level things that you did though not asked to add value to senior lawyers like yourself I'd really be interested in in learning more about that now you receive that email from me two things are going to happen first thing is you're going to say to yourself "Whoo! I don't routinely get this okay um and two, since I've asked you something that's easy for you to answer, okay, you're going to type back. I would be delighted to catch up with you. You'll look at your calendar and you're going to give me some time. Yes. And, and, and the scope and content of the conversation has already been shaped. It's off the back of the associate. They don't have to kind of have the anxiety uh, that right. comes with figuring out what to say to you, because well, it's on you now. there. We already know. It's on you, okay? And what I have found is your comfort level after you've done that eight times is different than your comfort or discomfort level the first or second first time. time. Yeah. And so just have a first time. That's right. Have a second time, have a third time. And over time, my experience has been, at least with, with respect to you, Tracy,
0: I'm gonna get more comfortable, and that will then make you more comfortable with reaching out to others. And for sure, okay. I have another question that I really like to get to. The question is: You said that coaching interventions um, are not one size fits all. Can you give some examples of the interventions or mentoring efforts that you found most impactful in helping associate development?
1: Well, when I said one size doesn't fit all, that, you, that was tied to your question about why we had the different categories, fringe players, movies, okay. top performers, and utility players, right? Okay, and definitely. so, for example, if you're a top performer, okay, what we're really talking about is how do we continue to keep you on your growth trajectory in this remote workplace, okay? So I wrote this article, I submitted this article in July. So I'm talking about things that were happening up till July, okay? So there was no hybrid at that point, okay? Correct. So if you were a top performer, we're just focused on, okay, how do we keep the good times rolling, okay? Because those top performers, that's what they were concerned about, that wait a minute, remote can't be good for me right right but you need to help them understand um how to sustain their their rate of progression if you were a utility player okay on the front end of covid actually in a lot of practice groups work streams have slowed dramatically okay and um i wrote a a separate article for um now um I don't know, 30 things that associates should be doing during COVID, right? Right. And so we were really directing those utility players to those practical day-to-day things that they could be doing to restore their workflows. Okay. Newbies. These are people, some of them summered remotely. Yes. They had next to zero relationship equity Absolutely. in the relationships with the people that are giving them work or other associates in their practice group. So we really had to make sure we were starting to give them those foundational relationship building skills that would, when confirmed, motivate people who weren't familiar with them because they'd not been around them. That these were these were young lawyers that they could entrust with their work. So the the number one thing that we focused on was deconstructing this thing called initiative. Because I happen to believe that if I'm not familiar with you, Tracy, but I can confirm you have high levels of initiative, then I'm much more likely to engage with you, though we've not, in a conventional sense, worked with you. But we gotta deconstruct what that is because a person who's coming out of law school recently why should we assume they know what workplace initiative really looks like and how it's confirmed? What are the behaviors that, when confirmed, um, make it easy for the observer to also confirm that they're in the path of um, a high initiative associate? Which leads me to French players. A French player went into COVID already at a deficit. Okay, and what was very clear quickly when you coach French players things were getting worse for them fast, okay? And so now the focus for, for them is we got to examine the relationship health person by person with respect to the key stakeholders in your workplace. And we need to develop a plan right now to address the relationship health because we didn't believe that relationships on their own were going to get better under the stress of COVID and remote work. You with me? Yeah. And so, so we were, I've simplified it, but I'm just saying that you, we, we, we emphasized or calibrated what we were emphasizing maybe a bit differently, depending on how we perceive, um, your category to be when we first started working with you. That's, that's really what I meant about no one size doesn't fit all. Okay.
0: And so for example, we were also talking about, um, In particular, I remember there was one point in the article you spoke about, oh, at times uh, some of the associates that you were coaching were saying how, yes, there might have been planned check-ins that partners might have been encouraged to make here or there. But oftentimes they were not really, um, maybe the impact and the intent might not have been uh, on the same playing field because there was a gap.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're humans. We, we, we have our antenna up for things that feel like compulsory visits um, as opposed to when we're in the presence who, of someone who under, really understands us and is bothering to understand us. It's interesting. Um, the behavioral scientists tell us that being in the presence of someone who we're convinced is even trying to understand us is as important as concluding that the person actually understands us. And the opposite is true. So when I get a call from a person who I'm not convinced is really even trying to understand my situation, okay? That's very different than when I receive a call from someone who, they may not understand my situation, okay? But they're trying, trying. okay? And so that's what I was getting at there that, that we, When we talk to associates, they could discern, as any one of us could discern, when you were receiving a call from someone who was calling because someone told them they had to call everybody on the list, versus someone who was calling you with what felt to you like a genuine interest in you. Mm -hmm.
0: That goes a long way. And you, you don't, you may not remember what was said, but you still remember
1: how you felt. In crisis, we always do, and, and 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 that's what we're in right now. I mean, crisis may we may be may feel a little extreme for where we are right now, but if I were a first or second year associate, kind of tossed into this deal, I'm convinced I would be in free fall right about now. Okay, okay. so I again, believe this is a huge opportunity for senior lawyers to demonstrate what we can be as leaders. And I think it's a huge opportunity for junior lawyers to leverage this moment. My bias is to over-index for in-person work if you can so that you can capitalize on the allocable share of senior lawyer investment. The form of investment that is more likely available to you if you are more often than not present, not all the time, but more often than not.
0: Well, with that said, I can't think of anything else that I would wanna follow up on because I think that was just a perfect way to, to end this conversation. So, thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Bellamy. It is always a pleasure to chat with you. Um, and to everyone else in the audience, as Shanae mentioned, uh, this program will be is being recorded. You will be able to review it um, as soon as it's uploaded. We thank you so much for your time and interest. And let's work on, again, continuing to shift the concept of relationships and the culture right of, of the legal profession. All
1: right, thank you. Thank you all. I appreciate it. Bye, everyone. Have a good good night. Bye now.